Welcome to the Advisor Talk podcast channel. This is Nick Stewart, CEO and Authorised Financial Advisor at Stewart Group. If you're new to the show, Stewart Group is a CFEX certified financial planning and advisory firm serving clients throughout New Zealand with offices in Hawke's Bay and Wellington. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge. How going, Nick? Really good, thanks. Yeah, good to see ya. Looking forward to uh, a yeah the festive break, and you know, you know, you and I can smile, Ken, unlike the North Koreans at the moment. <laughs> that was unbelievable. We were reading at it on our breakfast show the other day, and uh, because they're in mourning, of course. But uh, wow, do we live in a paradise here, or what? We do. I mean, you know, imagine not being able to smile yes. by legislation for eleven days, and not allowed to uh, drink any al- alcoholic beverage for eleven days as well. And a was, true fast. Yeah, if it's your birthday, we're not allowed to celebrate your birthday. Yeah, you just smile in the darkness yeah, in the yeah. cupboard. And uh, yeah, if, any, if I hear people say complaining about New Zealand, I say, oh, well, you know, would you rather live in Afghanistan or somewhere like North <laughs> Korea, or where would you rather be? Anyway, we digress. Just remind our listeners, Nick, what the Stewart Group is all about. We are all about financial services, uh, helping people with their financial planning. Financial planning is at our core, and we help people with their risk management, their investments, their pension, their KiwiSaver, and just basically getting their financial house in order and keeping it that way. And if we want any, any advice, where do we find you guys? You can find us at 204 Kadamu Road in Hastings or on the terrace in Wellington. And over this uh, time of good will to all men, uh, when are you open? You're closing down for a couple of weeks? or? Yeah, we are. Yeah, the office will close down um, from Thursday at 5pm and we'll have a little bit of time off. Um, you know, everything works remotely, so we're, yeah. you know, we're pretty much... In touch. Plugged into the matrix, as they say. But yes. then the office opens back up on around that kind of 10th of January. Okay, yeah. we've come to the end of 2021, but let's, let's wind the tape back. Uh, the year in review, well, who, who were the winners and losers from your point of view? <clears throat> well, it, well, it's interesting. It looked, because of the fact that, you know, as I was talking about financial planning. So if we kind of look back over the year, it's and in front of me, and I'll actually publish this on um, online to, to go with this radio show, um, so if I look back at the returns mosaic last year, which was, you know, who were the winners in 2020 and who were the losers in 2020 by asset class. Mm-hmm. So a year ago, it was New Zealand equities, top of the pops yep. at Christmas last year. And at the bottom of the chart was global real estate, mm-hmm. global property. Wow. Whereas right now, Ken, as I speak, number one is global property yes. and the worst laggard the flightless bird, the kiwi, is at the bottom. Is that something that you picked? Uh, absolutely not. Very, very, <laughs> very, very difficult to pick. But one thing is, and that is, that if you buy last year's winner and sell last year's loser, that is a recipe to lose money long term. Yeah. So that's kind of like effectively buy on the high, sell on the low, rinse and repeat until broke. Okay, I wonder because you know there's still only one story and it has been for the last two years, and that is COVID. What's what's COVID taught us, Nick, uh, about investing, and uh, 
Has it changed the way we look at investing? Yeah, I think it has, yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of people have learned after the first lockdown and the, f- the first kind of shock of the, on the markets was that um, they're better to, stick, to stay seated and remain in their seat and focus on the long duration because those that exited um, last um, March, you know, around when that market dropped, the you know, the floor fell out of the market around the 23rd of March mm-hmm. and then it bounced immediately. A lot of people who'd exited... Many of them still haven't got back in, and you know if you look at the U.S. market, it's um, you know rallied so strongly from that point, as has New Zealand. But the U.S. is like double the rate mm. of New Zealand, so a lot of people have said, "Hey, I'm possibly better to um, treat this for the long term," you know, because KiwiSaver for many people is going to be a you know forty year plus investment. Yeah. So they're better to to leave it and focus on you know focus on the long term rather than kind of knee jerking in and out of asset classes. Yeah. But there are still those that believe that you know the um, the sky is going to fall, yep. and some people have pivoted during COVID into some pretty funky alternative assets. Yeah. A lot of you know, like a lot of people have gone into things like crypto. A lot of people have gone into syndicated property. Look, a lot of these assets are very very easy to buy. Mm-hmm. They are illiquid. They're quite difficult to get out of. Like if you own a fractional ownership of a commercial property. Very easy to buy, but difficult to exit because you own a fraction of the property. You cannot liquidate the entire property and go to market. Mm. You have to find someone else who wants to buy your fractional ownership, and that normally comes at a discount. Yeah. Yeah. Timeshare, I mean, that's a word I haven't heard for years, actually. <laughs> you, you called it something slightly different there, but timeshare was big time a few years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, well, the fractional ownership of a holiday property, you know, the whole concept is sounds really good. You know, we look at the label on the tin, it yeah. sounds fabulous. The problem is once you've been served the meal, if you're not happy, you're stuck eating that same tin food for a long time. Um, it's really interesting because I know, you know, I've seen adverts in, um, in the paper down in Queenstown where people have been trying to exit their one week of a timeshare and they're prepared to let the timeshare week go for a dollar. Wow. Now, the reason is the that you know, there's an $850 maintenance liability per year that you're stuck with. So a lot of people like estates. So, you know, you imagine, uh, imagine Ken, if you're... Um, you know, if your late mother owned one of those, you guys would, or you and your tribe would be saying, I wonder, how can we get rid of this 850 bucks a <laughs> yeah, year? Yeah, we don't want it. <laughs> yeah, you don't want That's it. Right. So, so timeshares, again, easy to buy, difficult to sell. Okay. Now, you mentioned bricks and mortar, and you mentioned what, uh, what might loosely be termed um, the share market, uh, and you've, you've talked about Bitcoin and other uh, equities. But what about stuff like art and cars and motorbikes and fine wines? How did they um, fare in 2021? They actually did, they did really well. Like, um, <clears throat> there, isn't, there isn't a wine index in New Zealand that you can track, whereas offshore you can track you know, a Bordeaux wine index, and you can see what the, what the price of those has done. But in New Zealand, the evidence that I see, because I buy some wine um, at auction, um, for example, Ken, if I was looking for a birthday gift for you from your birth year, mm-hmm. you know, the only place I'd be able to find it would be to go to auction. Mm. Now, the price appreciation of things like Tomato Estate Colerain that we've covered on a previous radio show, you know, a 1982 bottle of Tomato Estate Colerain from, you know, Tomato Road in Havelock North sold for $948 wow. about four months ago. Mm. Now, that has doubled in a year, and it has doubled the year prior. 
So in other words, you know, it was trading at about two hundred and twenty dollars a bottle. Then it was then last year it was trading at about four fifty, and then this time just late nine hundred and forty eight dollars. So yeah, wine's been a good thing to own. Now the other thing, and excuse the pun on this, but you know, it is a liquid asset in the sense that yes. if you're unhappy with the investment, you could invite a friend round, you know, um, you know, crank up the barbie, enjoy a steak, and you could drink the investment. <laughs> yes, you could. <laughs> whereas, um, whereas some assets, you know, they are, you know, like if you think about like um, art, you can enjoy the pleasure of it. You, you can't actually consume it like you could with with wine. Mm. Um, and the thing is that, that, like, when people talk to me about transacting in some of these assets, the buy sell or the premium that you have to pay to exit, what is the transaction cost, is very very high. So, for example, Ken, you and I can sell shares on the stock market for about anything between 0.2 and 0.5 of a percent. Okay, so in other words, if you buy and sell, let's say you're up mm. for a 1% cost. If I go and I buy a bottle of wine and then I go to sell it a month later, I'm going to cross the spread hugely and place a massive transaction cost. So I'm going to pay... A, a buyer's premium of between 12.5% and 17.5% wow. to buy. And then when I sell, I'm going to pay between 125 and 15%. So in other words, I'm effectively, you know, I'm up for losing around, you know, that kind of 35 yeah. to 45% of my asset value in the transaction cost. And many people, they don't think about that, that when they that buy in. these things. Yeah. Because the transaction costs... They are not a liquid. Uh, they're, they're not a very liquid asset, and the medium and, and the form of exchange that you have to go to to sell, there isn't a stock market. Oh. There isn't just there aren't thousands of people willing it's very to niche, buy. Very niche, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, extremely niche. Yeah, and on that basis, you're paying the middleman, and it is expensive. I have heard that art has done very well this year. Yes, yeah, it has. Yeah, but again, look, we don't we don't have a a trackable index like they have overseas. But yes. A lot of the art, notable works by um, either living or deceased artists, um, they have done extremely well. I mean, you, you, one can only imagine when you hear about these values for these sales. You can only imagine the insurance premiums these people pay. Because if you've got a, I don't know, you've got a Lindau um, or a Goldie hanging above your fireplace, um, you'd, you're going to want to have probably a couple of pit bulls that roam around the property, <laughs> security <laughs> cameras. Um, you know, a monitored alarm system, and you're going to want to ha- have ensure that that piece of art is insured at market value, not the value when uh, Great Granddad gave you the piece many, many moons ago. Which is a great segue, and you mentioned that those bottles of wine and their prices, they sounded marvellous, you know, going up, going up, going up. <laughs> what's, what's the formula, Nick? Is there a formula getting in, getting out? How do you know? How do you know to get in and get out and come out? You know, feeling pretty good about getting out or getting well, out. Well, on some of these assets, these are liquid assets. That that often comes down to some people have in mind a certain price point they're going to get out at. The other thing, they have things that pop up in their life um, where they need liquidity. In other words, they, they need cash. Yep. The other thing is that if you have a single asset, let's say you were fortunate to own a Goldie um, you know, of some famous Māori princess mm. or a Māori chief, um, you could imagine that the portion of your assets that are tied up in that single one sector one item 
you know, the percentage of your balance sheet or your overall assets is going to be really high. And at that point, that's where some people go, you know what, there's just too much risk for me here. You know, if something happens, you know, I, you know, I just don't want to own it. And you often see that with motor vehicles as well. Yep. Um, and also, as people, you know, I was talking before about that need for liquidity. As people go through their lives, the cost of maintaining and running, say, um, an amazing fleet of vintage vehicles... You know, some people just don't have the, mm. they no longer have the cash flow to support it. So you generally find that these assets, like they have a life cycle within someone's balance sheet. So you often you often see those items start coming up for sale. Yeah. yeah. We've spoken many times over the years about uh, that cycle, you know, seven years, peaks and troughs. Mm. Um, if I came to you and uh, I said to you, hey, look, Nick, I've had these, uh, these shares or this housing portfolio or my art portfolio, and it's coming up seven years next week, buddy. Is this the time <laughs> to sell? I mean, or is it uh, how long is a bit of string? Well, I think with the art and with the vehicles, if, if there's no fiscal pressure in terms of for the need for liquidity, then often it comes down to it's an emotive decision um, and people often have altruistic things they're wanting to do such as you know, the birth of a grandchild, etc. and they're wanting to set some type of fund up for the child um, or the, you know, a lot, pe- lot of parents, grandparents have been helping children, grandchildren uh, into the property ladder, onto the property ladder or allowing them to uh, move homes or complete renovations. So often those assets are it's an emotive decision rather than for their own need. But I always come back to the fact that those are alternative assets, whereas I always believe that some the cornerstone of any portfolio should always be grounded in science, grounded in evidence, and that's where people need a solid investment portfolio that mm-hmm. doesn't require their care, need and, need and attention, you know, the pit bulls and the CCDV cameras, etc., with the art. Whereas a portfolio looks after itself. Yes, you have a financial advisor, but the fact is that it continues on its own steam and doesn't need you to take the vehicle for a drive, doesn't require you to drop it in for a warrant of fitness, maintenance, etc. I mean, I own a vintage car, Mm. a 1951 Land Rover. That thing is in the garage more than (laughs) it is at home. Yes. And because people always say, they say to me, "Have, have you sold that car? And I go, no, it's in the garage. So, but fortunately, it's a small percentage of my assets. But if it was if it was a larger percentage, then perhaps my wife would be twisting my arm a little harder at my back, saying it's time it's to let the vehicle go. That's right. Yeah. But so going back to the evidence based portfolio. So, like, let's say for us, if I look at, I've just got a couple of metrics here. So, a basic balance portfolio over the last twelve months, year to date. Well, not quite twelve months, almost. Um, you know, you're talking a, a balance portfolio has done nine and a half percent. Wow. And a, and, a, and a 100% growth portfolio mm. has done 18. I mean, these are solid numbers. Now, Ken, you haven't had to go out to work to earn that. No. That has done that under its own steam. You haven't had to oversee it. You haven't had to water it, nurture it, care for it, take it for a drive. You haven't had to insure it. So that's And, and, the, and the other thing, it's 100% liquid on the day. So if you want to liquidate your diversified portfolio, you can. And that's, that's why I'm saying it's really good to have that as a cornerstone of an investment portfolio or balance sheet. Still have the art, the vintage vehicle, the bottles of Bordeaux or Hawke's Bay Tomato Estate. You can have all that, but so long as it's not too big a percentage. And it's done all that yeah. with COVID. Correct. What would it have done without COVID, do you think? 
who knows, Ken? The great, the the great mystery yeah. of the uh, the crystal ball. One never knows. Okay, uh, crystal ball gazing is just a quick overview yes. of 2022. How do you think it's going to uh, shape up for us? Then we'll talk a bit about politics. Yeah. Um, so at the moment, you've got uh, the markets have actually pulled back a touch in the last few weeks, just with um, Omicron. Um, so you know, markets peaked at about July, came pulled back a bit and then started surging again towards mid-November, and then towards the end of November through to now, they've just pulled back a, a, a touch with that new variant in the market. Um, but look, things look pretty good. Um, inflation's the boogeyman that's out there, yep. because you've got reserve banks around the world that have been printing money, are starting to um, not order any more um, ink cartridges for the printing press, and they're starting to wind back on those buying programs, which has seen interest rates come up a touch. Not as much as people thought. I was actually I was on the phone yesterday to a um, finance professor, and we were talking about how, with the recent OCR increase by our Reserve Bank, that the long-dated ten-year um, government bond numbers really surged up mm. a lot. But actually, since then they've come back. So it almost it's a little bit like the market factored in that things that interest rates were really going to rise long term. But actually, over the last fortnight, they've actually come down by about 0.4%, which on 10-year numbers is a lot. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the markets... Let's, so let's go back to inflation. The market's basically looking through the current bubble of inflation with the expectation that things will return to some form of relative normality. So instead of having inflation at, say, 5.5% or 5.2%, the market's kind of factoring in that it'll come back and settle down around that kind of 31 to 3.2%, which would be a good thing. Well, bearing in mind that return that we just talked about, mm, and it's mm. pretty damn good, let's look at politics and, and yes. the government and the financial uh, markets. Yeah. they go hand in glove or not? No, they don't. No. Um, a lot of people have tried to say that, you know, politics and markets are highly correlated, but I've seen studies in the United States going back for generations where there's really good robust data and the fact is they're not correlated I mean you know like if you think of it like you know a red government or a blue government a Republican Democrat across that data it just doesn't pan out at the moment you've got it in New Zealand where it just happens to be that over the last year the New Zealand stock market's done really really poorly Mm -hmm. with a Labour government that has the first ever majority under an MMP voting structure so that is unusual hey look you know some people would say you know throw the runes out on the table and say hey there's a correlation but you you know I remember talking to a Nobel Prize winner or hearing him at at a presentation he said you know if you torture the data for long enough it will confess. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of like, you know, looking at, you know, tea leaves and coming up with correlations. So, yeah. So yeah. it doesn't really pan out if you're looking for the evidence. But certainly at the moment, you know, with what we're coming into in 2022, you've got um, rising rates of inflation. You've got rising interest rates to combat that. And you've got a political environment where we've pretty much game on. We've got a really, really good political environment coming up where finally the opposition has, um, you know, the lunar wheels are off and it looks yeah. as though we're going to have some robust debate, which for any democracy that is really exciting and, you know, augurs well for, you know, for how the direction of travel of the mm. country. Those increases in um, 
interest rates. Mm. They had to come there, didn't they? Because we've, been, you know, we've had the good times. They, they just had to come. So regardless of uh, your political leaning, we would have expected that to happen, wouldn't we? Yes, we would. Yeah, yeah. It would be... It's more a central bank issue rather than a political issue. And that's where, you know, when we're talking about the OCR, that's not something that the Minister of Finance can influence because the Reserve Bank's supposed to be, supposed to be an independent entity in its own right that sets monetary policy. Um, now, the government can affect what happens in the market through the way that, through its expenditure and how much it spends, etc. You know, are they a dry government? Are they a wet government? Wet being they like to spend, dry mm-hmm. means they're more conservative. Um, so that's the only effect that the government has. The Reserve Bank sets, sets its own policy. One would argue at the moment that perhaps last year they, they wound the printing press up a little bit too much. Yeah. And they probably pulled the um, the OCR rate a little bit too low. We've got a little bit of catch up now. Just give us a quick overview of the uh, the latest ANZ business survey. Yeah, that came out. Yeah, that came out a couple of days ago. And so this is the you know business confidence numbers through to December. So this is one of New Zealand's largest and widest surveys in terms of the numbers of firms and CEOs that it it um, surveys. And that showed a, a pretty substantial fall in headline business confidence. Um, so that pretty much means that, well, from the latter half of 2020 through to today, it's pretty much been a, um, a negative slide, yep. which, is, which is a little bit concerning. Now, the, the reason is, is that business confidence... So, Ken, if you're a business owner and your confidence is poor then you aren't going to employ people. You're probably going to pull back on your research and development. Mm-hmm. Your capital expenditure program is going to shrink. You'll probably start to lean on some deferred repairs and maintenance to get yourself through because you're just, you just don't feel confident. No, of course and, not. And, and, and look, I use the analogy. I remember, I remember last year we were at Lake um, Topo, and if you go down to Bully Point, there's this, like, three-and-a-half-metre rock you can jump off. Yeah. Well, you know, if... If you're not that confident, you stand on the rock for quite a long time until you jump. Mm. Now, everyone's going to shame you. You're going to have to jump eventually. (laughs) But the fact is, some people stand up there for, dare I say it, about 10 minutes while they contemplate life and should I jump, should I not. (laughs) And it's that whole thing of confidence. Whereas I remember sitting there, one of my son's young friends climbed up the rock and then did a swan dive. He didn't (laughs) even hesitate. Now, that's confidence. Yes, it is. Now, so you've got businesses at the moment that are sitting sitting on the ledge and they're saying, I'm just not confident to proceed with that project. Now, what that does, it, it, it means that people, they start to shrink their expenditure because they're, they're in a hunker-down mode. Yeah. They're like the bear over winter. Um, and it's interesting that this, is now been, this has now been a trend that we've seen for quite some period of time, which is a concern because it can actually, you know, the, that mindset you know, can become habitual. Yeah. I wonder, though, how do we stack up globally on that business confidence? On a scale of 1 to 10, where are we? Uh, ours is poor. Yeah. Ours is poor. Yeah. But there, there is a slight correlation between um, business confidence and um, left-wing governments. Mm-hmm. And we know that, you know, because this ANZ survey has been done for a long period of time now. Yeah. Uh, as I was saying earlier, this is one of the more robust. And the fact is that there is a correlation between a, um, a red and a blue government, depending on which way their business confidence goes. And look, we're just about out of time, so you, no doubt you've picked out another fabulous song for us. What is it? Well, 
I have. I thought about this one, and I'm, we're going to go with Tracy Chapman's Change. Oh, yeah, I like Tracy Chapman. She's good. She's real cool. And um, and that particular one, because I think, look, here we are. We've had 2020. People wanted to see the end of 2020. Scratch it from the records. <laughs> yes. 2021 like double scratch. <laughs> so here's for 2022 and some change. Good on you, Nick. Bring it on. And uh, look, on behalf of myself and uh, the team here at Radio Kidmas, I want to thank you for coming over the last 12 months. And... Uh, yeah. And astounding us with your knowledge and we look forward to doing it all again in 2022 I look forward to that, thank you Good on Nick, thanks The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge.